Good morning to each of you. It's been a real joy to worship with you and to have our attention pointed to the goodness of God. Psalm 119. Hear those pages turning. Please realize that as the pastor prayed, I was reminded that uh, we do want God to speak to us. And what I found in my own walk of faith is that when I open the book or open my device, not to the nearest social media page, but to a Bible app, and I look at the Word of God, my eyes will focus on those words. And when we come to a setting such as this, if we have our Bibles open and our eyes are looking at the passage, and our ears are open to hear what might be taught or might be preached, and if our hearts are opened, we will experience God's amazing grace. We will experience His pouring himself into our lives. And so this morning, I hope that you'll turn with me to Psalm 119. And as you're looking there, uh, let me tell you and describe for you my first encounter with Psalm 119. It was a very busy day. I was a full-time seminary student, and uh, I got up at 6 a.m. on a Wednesday morning to make sure that I was present for an 8 o'clock class. If I remember correctly, for that day, I had at least three classes and maybe four classes between 8 o'clock and uh, 2 p.m. On my way back across town to the apartment where Charlene and I were living, I stopped off at the church where I was serving as an associate pastor. The reason I stopped there is because the lead senior pastor was on vacation, and I knew I needed to check in at the office and see if there was anything that required my attention uh, the office secretary informed me that there were a couple people who had been admitted to the local hospital, and so I took time to go to the hospital and spend a few minutes with those people. I then went back to our apartment, and uh, Charlene was there about 5 o'clock, and she had prepared a meal for us. We ate together, then about 6 o'clock we headed back to the church. It was Wednesday evening, and we had youth Bible study that we were in charge of. We led that to about 8.15, and as we were hoping to head out the doors to head back to our apartment, uh, one of the teens and their parents came to me and said, Bob, could you talk with us? We just have something we would like some advice upon. And so we met with them. Finally, at 9.30, 15 and a half hours later, I plopped down in my chair and was ready to turn on the TV. As my body went into that easy chair, I was reminded that Yet that day, I had not opened up and read God's Word. Now, we would say, well, what's the big deal? I mean, you know, you can always read it tomorrow. But you have to understand that on the first of the year, I had challenged the youth who were part of my Sunday school class to read through the Bible with me that year. We had taken the, a, in the old coming aparts, we had taken the schedule each uh, quarter, and we would read through it. And I gave those young people permission to ask me every Sunday morning as we started Sunday school, did you read every day, every verse? And I knew that if I didn't get back up and read, that they would call me on the carpet. I went to the second bedroom and sat down at the place where I would usually do my studies, and I opened up the schedule, and I discovered that God is so good because I only had to read one chapter that day. <laughs> it was Psalm 119. <laughs> and I discovered that it is 176 verses long, 8 
verses in 22 different chapters. 22 times 8 is 176 verses. In the NIV Bible that I was using at that time, it was five pages long. But I knew that those young people were going to call me into account, and so I began to read. As I got about one-third way through that 176 verses of Psalm 119, I began to realize something. That depending on the translation that you may have in your hands, every single one of those verses, except maybe one or two, have a reference to the word of God. In fact, if you would, look at verses 97 through 104. We're not going to preach on all 176 verses. And all of God's people said, not that hungry, huh? Oh, no, never mind. Notice verse 97 says, oh, how I love your law. Verse 98, your commands. Verse 99, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on what? On your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders. Why? For I obey your precepts. Verse 101, the end, I might obey your word. Verse 102, I have not departed from what? Your laws. Verse 103, how sweet are your words. And finally, that final verse of this section, I gain understanding from your precepts. And as I was working my way through these 176 verses, there was a drumbeat that began to beat deep within my being. It's the word of God. 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 And as I came to the close of that time in the word, I realized that the foundational truth that the psalmist wants us to grasp as he pens these 176 verses is that the word of God is valuable. It's the value of the word of God. And what we want to discover this morning as we begin this time set aside for revival is to begin to think with the psalmist and begin to realize that when I give God's word value in my life, there are some things that will happen in my life. What we need to understand as we come together individually as believers and as we gather together as a congregation that wants to be a followers of Jesus Christ, we begin to comprehend that when we as a body of Christ give value to the word of God, there are some things that will happen. There are some things that will develop in our church life. What are they? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at them together. Verse 97 says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Verse 98 says, your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. Notice it says, your commands make me wiser than my enemies. The psalmist gives us the picture that there is opposition to our walk of faith. There are enemies to our faith. And what we discover here is that when we allow God's word to be of value in our life, his commands make us wiser than our enemies. 
In other words, we may be opposed, but even though we may be opposed in our faith, when we value God's word, we will have stability in our walk of faith. Now, what's really interesting, if we were to take some commentaries, in fact, as in my study this passage this week, I, was, I noted how the key words there, for they are ever with me, there's much debate on what that exactly describes. There are some translations that say, your commands that are ever with me make me wiser than my enemies. Others say, your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. In other words... What is it that is ever with me? Is it the truth of God's word? Is it the validation of who we are in Christ through the teachings of scripture that are ever with us? Or is it the enemies who are ever with us? And I stepped back and said, hey, it could be both. One I can do something about, the other I can do nothing about. The truth is there are Forces. There is an evil one who wants us to throw away our faith. There is one who wants to turn us from life in Christ to a destructive way of living. It's the enemy. And there are his co-workers. And there are those spirits and those forces. My friends, as we walk the way of faith, the truth is there are enemies led by the enemy who wants us to throw away our faith and throw away our confidence in the true and living God. And the truth is I can do, you can do nothing about that. It's the enemy to our faith. They're ever with us. But if the commands of God are ever with us, that's totally in my and your court. We can fill our hearts and our minds with the reality of the instructions, of the commands, of the teachings of the kingdom of heaven. And my friends, though the enemy may oppose us, we will have stability in the face of that opposition if we value God's word. Heard three amens. We're getting there. It was the summer of 1975. I was anticipating my sophomore year of college at Mount Vernon Nazarene University. And I grew up about five miles from a holiness camp meeting in Sebring, Ohio. I grew up on that campgrounds. I was a part of the children's ministries whenever they had their 10 days of encampment. I was a part of the youth program. Uh, during my years as college, of course, I worked through the summer, uh, the days of summer. And so when it was about there between my freshman and sophomore year, I worked to about four o'clock in the afternoon. And then I would go to the evening services. And on this particular Tuesday night, for the first time, I had my eyes on the word. I had my ears open to what was being taught. And I had my heart open to the Holy Spirit. And I understood that God not only wanted to forgive me of my sins, but God wanted to cleanse me of my sin. He not only wanted to forgive me for the fact that I did not always walk in his ways, he wanted to give me a whole new way of thinking. He wanted to give me a whole new attitude about life. And he wanted to cleanse that bent toward doing what I want to do when I want to do it. And so for me, the moment that the song leader and the worship leader began to lead in a congregational song. I stepped out of that bench, from behind that bench, and I made my way forward. And for that moment, 
People did come and pray with me. I did kneel at the altar. But for me personally, the moment I took that step of faith, God did a work of grace in my life. And I realized that he not only wanted to forgive me of my sins, but he wanted to cleanse me of my sin. On the way back home, I stopped off at the local dairy aisle. I love chocolate milkshakes, and all of God people said, amen. So I stopped off, and I uh, ordered my chocolate milkshake, and as I was waiting for my order to be filled, Mark, a high school friend of mine, pulled up beside my car. And as we conversed, I really felt led of God to share with Mark what had happened in my life about 30 minutes earlier. And as I shared what God had done in a moment of crisis, Mark said, wait a minute, Flint. What about this? He knew me well. And the moment that he said, what about this? The enemy said, yeah, yeah, what about that? And the joy that I had experienced the enemy began to sow seeds of destruction and seeds of doubt. And when I got my milkshake, I said, I, I, I got to go. And I drove the rest, of the rest of the way to our home. And I told mom and dad, I'm going upstairs. I'm going to bed. And I went upstairs and I plopped down on my bed. And I couldn't get away from the question, what about that? What about this? Now, thank God for Christian universities that require incoming students to take courses entitled entitled Introduction to, to the Bible. And in that course where I opened up the New Testament and the professor led us in understanding some of the messages and the storyline of scripture, I, couldn't, I remember that the professor in the New Testament course had told us that Philippians is a real positive book. And so I took it, and I took the paperback NIV. That's when they were just coming out. And I opened it up, and I read through Philippians 1, and yeah, it was pretty good. And Philippians 2, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Then I got to Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, and this is what I read. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, colon, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. And my friends, I'm no longer uh, 21 years of age. I'm about 40 years older. But if, if you can go back to those days, what I did was I jumped off the bed and I did a little holy dance and I said, thanks be to God that what about this forgetting what's behind? I press on to what's ahead. And what I've learned and what I find from the saints who testify both through scripture and throughout church history is that there's something about God's word that the Holy Spirit will use. When Amy gave her testimony this morning to start this worship hour, I almost did another dance. She preached the sermon. When we are facing opposition, we can have stability. Why? Because the commands of God are ever with me. Stability.
when opposed. Verse 99, the writer goes on and gives us another insight. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. Now, what the psalmist does here is give us an illustration that we can relate to. He says, I have more insight than all my teachers. Let's pretend we are in high school and uh, we are taking a course on American history. And what the instructor tells us is that throughout this semester, as we study American history, you are going to take an event or a person and you're going to do research on that, on that subject and come the close of the semester, you will be given a time in which you are going to give an oral presentation telling us what you learned. Our day comes. When we arrive at the school, our American history teacher says, oh, I just want to give you a heads up on what's going on. It seems that the state of Ohio is doing this, this emphasis on the way that we teach American history, and our school is going to be participating in this new program. And I just want you to know that the head of the Department of Education from the state of Ohio, uh, several superintendents from local schools, our own superintendent of schools, uh, and different history teachers from around the state of Ohio will be visiting our school, and they will be sitting in on our class, but I still want you to do your assignment. Now, if that, if that was my situation, I could, with all integrity, go to the office and tell the secretary, I don't feel good. <laughs> I need to go home. You want me to talk about American history? in front of a group of people who have earned degrees, advanced degrees, they should be talking to me about American history, but I've got to talk to them. And the psalmist says, you know what? It could be the most intimidating situation that I can imagine, but you know what? Rather than being intimidated, I have insight. See, when we value the word of God, we have insight when we could be intimidated. It was 20 years ago, 40,000 pastors gathered in Atlanta, Georgia for the Promise Keepers Conference for the clergy of our nation. 40,000 members of those called to lead the church into the 21st century were to consider the issues that we faced as an American church as we entered the new millennium. Right in the middle of the week, the topic for the entire day on Wednesday was racial reconciliation. God did some neat things in the lives of many individuals that day, including my own. But I would like to share with you very briefly the account of a pastor in Alabama and what happened in his life as a result of this conference and focusing on racial reconciliation. Did I tell you he was from Alabama? Racial reconciliation, and he was the pastor of a church in Alabama. He really felt God was calling him as a leader to lead the congregation in becoming a model of what truly scriptures teach which is red and yellow, black and white, they all become one in Jesus Christ. 
the days of this church for that color and this church for this color are over, and I want your church right there in Alabama. Did I tell you it was in Alabama? Right there in Alabama, they were going to be the model of what true biblical New Testament Christianity is all about. And so about two weeks after the conference, he had prayed, he had studied, and he stood before the congregation, and he proclaimed from God's word the fact that God has calling their congregation to be an example of racial reconciliation right there in the heart of the Deep South. At the close of the sermon, he said this, all of you who agree Please stand up. And 75% of the congregation stood up. Then after a moment of silence, the pastor said this. To those of you who remain seated, please find someone else to worship, someplace else to worship next week. How could a pastor have that kind of guts? I mean... Some of the best givers may have been seated still. 25% of the congregation might mean 35% of the income. Oh, Lord, help us. How can he do that? Because when we build our faith on the authority of God's word, when we not only follow the person of Jesus Christ, but when we give our lives to being filled with the mind of Christ through the cooperation of the word of God and the spirit of God, my friends, we become invincible. And we could be intimidated, but no, we have a confidence. We have insight on how to move forward. fear is a natural thing. In fact, courage can only exist when fear is present. Courage can only be manifested in the presence of fear. And the key is to choose to allow faith to control us and not the fear. Well, Pastor Bob, whenever I begin to contemplate what God would have me to do, I start getting butterflies in my stomach. That's great. That's, that's not all bad. What you need to do is begin to pray, not, Lord, take these butterflies away from me, but pray, Lord, may these butterflies get in a formation and fly in formation that incur- enables us to touch the world for the cause of Christ. Intimidation, well, yeah, I'm a little bit afraid, but I have confidence. I have confidence, and I have insight. Why? Because I value your word. Oliver Wendell Holmes once made this statement. What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. I love your word. I value your word. And because of that, even though I may, might be in the most intimidating of situations, I have insight. I'm controlled by faith, not by fear. And then what the psalmist does is he goes from preaching to meddling. Have you ever met a preacher like that? That's exactly what he does. Because notice what he says in verse 100. He says, I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. He says, 
I have more understanding than the elders. He's not referring to in this Old Testament passage a group of men and women who've been set aside, ordained for ministry, called elders. He's talking about the fact that some of us have lived longer than the rest of the congregation. And he says, you know what? Even though I am young, I have a maturity that goes deeper than those who've been around longer than I have. See, what he wants us to understand, what the psalmist wants us to grasp this morning is that the matter of importance when it comes to the journey of faith is not how long someone has been hanging around the church. The issue is how an individual is maturing in their faith. And what's vital is not, I've been here for 35 years, and this has been my seat for 34 of those years. That's not what's important. What's important is, how are the fruit of the Spirit developing in your life? Oh, I've had perfect attention. Remember those days you had a chain about 12 inches long? Perfect attendance. I remember that was going on when I was growing up in the church. And if I visited a friend's house and I went to a church at, with uh, went to church or Sunday school with my friend, I had to get a signed bulletin or a signed form, and I'd bring it back and I'd be eligible for my chain again—the second link, or the third link, or the fourth link, or the twelfth link of my chain. Now, please don't misquote me. When I found that when you're a visiting pastor, you get misquoted a lot. You know what that pastor said? We don't have to go to church. That's not what I said. (laughs) But we need to understand that maturity of faith is not dependent on how young or how old I am. You know what the key is? Notice what it says, verse 100. I have more understanding than the people who've been around longer than I have. Why? Because I obey your precepts. Not how long, but how deep. Not I heard that story before, but you know what? That story is teaching me about what the way of Christ is all about. That story is giving me deeper insight into what the kingdom of heaven is all about. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to obey that principle. I'm going to take it off the page of the scripture. I'm going to take it off my memory and I'm going to allow it through the help of the Holy Spirit to penetrate my heart. And you know what? I'm going to be obedient to that principle. That's spiritual maturity. I get very warm when I speak. If you come for the second service, I'll probably have a different shirt on because when I greet you after the service, I need a new shirt. I'm very warm. I get in my car. I turn the air conditioning on full blast. and I begin to get chilled, and I interact with someone that, that may not be feeling too well, and the bottom line is by Thursday, I am sick. And I'm really sick because my wife doesn't call the doctor for me. I call myself, and I go. The doctor, yep, you've got this bug, and here's what I want you to do, and he writes out a prescription. He says, I want you to take this. So I take it. I go home, and he told me to rest a lot, and I like to hear that word. I like to hear permission to rest a lot. So I go to my bedroom, and I plop down on the bed, and I take that prescription that he has written, and I place it there next to my bed. 
And I say, thank you for that prescription. Can't read it. Don't know what it says, but I got it. I do that for two or three days. And by Saturday, man, I am really sick. And so he said, if you have any problems, come back. So I go back and I say, doctor, what's this? You've given me this prescription and I'm feeling no better. And the doctor says, well, did you get it filled? Huh? Well, no, I didn't get it filled. But man, I placed it right there next to my bed. I paid tribute to it every time I walked by it. No, Bob, you have to take it, get it filled, and then take the medication that's in the, in the bottle that you receive, follow the directions, and take it into your physical system. And as it, that medication enters your physical being, the chemicals of that particular medication will interact with the chemicals of your body, and that will bring about health and change. You know where I'm going, don't you? Oh, how I love your law. I was raised in a generation that uh, when the Bible was on the coffee table there in the middle of the front room, that if you put the TV guide on top of the Bible, Lord help us. I mean, this is a sacred book. My friends, I want to enlighten some of us. What is sacred is not the leather and paper and black and red ink that's in this book. What is sacred is the truth and the principles that are found in this book. And my friends, we will revere the book, but we don't revere the truth or follow or are obedient to the truths that are in the book. I have maturity. I'm growing up in my faith. I'm not the same I was 30 years ago when I found Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm no longer a crotchety Christian. I'm a joyful Christian. (laughs) You've been a Christian how long? And they act like that. Maturity. It's independent of age. Now, if we're going to be able to pull this all together, and we need to, we have to understand that that 97th verse is a very important verse. Psalm 119, as this section of the longest chapter in the book unfolds, this particular section is introduced with these words in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it for 30 seconds as I wolf down my donut and my coffee. Wish it said that. See, we're not talking about a devotional life that includes Scripture. We're talking about a life of devoted to the reality of the presence of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, through the truth of his word in my life. I love your law so much, I meditate on it all day long. Meditate, Webster defines it as to dwell upon, to put into one's mind, tearing it apart word by word. 
It was the first week back to classes at Mount Vernon Nazarene College from our, for my sophomore year. Charlene Green, I knew her from our freshman year. Uh, she said she sat behind me in English class. I don't remember. For some reason, I just didn't notice her. I played basketball. She was a cheerleader. I knew who she was, but I just didn't notice her. But that first day back on campus, I was going for the first supper, and she was sitting there on the wall outside the girls' dorm, and as I walked by, I went, whoa! To make a long story short, we began dating that first weekend back to college. Now, because Mount Vernon Nazarene College was a rather small college at that time, about 800 on campus, Charlene and I did about everything together. We'd go to eat together. We'd walk to class together. We'd go to the library together. She would study. I would sleep. <laughs> she got A's. I got B's. I don't know why, but that's just the way it was. We just spent a lot of time together. Then May came, and it was time to go home for the summer break. And now, young people, you'll have a hard time understanding this illustration, but, but talk to your, maybe your grandparents about it. They'll remember. <laughs> back in that era, you know, 40 years ago, back when the Earth's crust was just cooling, you know, way far along 40 years ago, uh, there were no unlimited long-distance plans. There were no cell phones and devices where you could just connect. If you were 150.6 miles apart, which is what it was, from Sebring to Marysville, you had to pick up a paper and pen and write a letter. For you see, you had telephones, didn't you? Well, yeah, but at my house, it was 10 cents a minute for long distance. And at my house, when it came time for the bill to, to arrive at the end of the month, you know my mom and dad had the audacity to do? You owe us. Who? I thought we only talked for a couple minutes. It was a couple hours. Shh. Whoa. If we were going to communicate, we had to do through letter writing. I got home on a Friday, Charlene returned to her home here in Marysville. I went to my home there in a suburb of Sebring, Beloit, Ohio. And uh, that's a joke. You can laugh. <laughs> Sebring, where's that? Well, it's a suburb. Beloit's one of the suburbs. I went out to the mailbox Saturday morning and looked. There was no letter. Could you believe it? Now, come on. Bob. I mean, that was totally ridiculous. Monday, still no letter. Tuesday, I went looking for a summer job, and when I got back home about lunchtime, I went across the street to our mailbox there in rural Mahoning County and pulled out, and there it was. And it smelled good. <laughs> Woo! And I went, and I very carefully opened it. I went and got some sandwich uh, materials out of the refrigerator and started making a sandwich for lunch, and I very carefully opened it up, and I took it. It was six pages long. And I read these words, dear Bob. Isn't that amazing? Wow, what a woman. Dear Bob. Man, wait, man, she's just great. I read through all six pages. Then I gently gathered it back up and put it in the envelope. And 
I had finished my sandwich, so I put the, everything I'd taken out and put it back in the refrigerator. Then I thought, ah, before I go back out looking for a job, I'm going to go upstairs and read my letter again. So I went upstairs, and I took it out, and I plopped down on the bed, read through the whole thing again. I took it apart, word by word, phrase by phrase. See, I wanted to hear the love that was expressed between the lines. The value of God's love letter to his church. And this is a week of renewal. This is a week of revival. This is a week where we, some of us, may experience a spiritual awakening. And I just want to encourage you with this fact. That if for a period of four days, we individually and collectively value the word of God, something fantastic will happen in our lives. Francis Schaeffer said it. If we are going to be a church that's effective in the next century, writing in the 20th century, if we are going to be able to respond as a church, if we are going to be the people of God in the 21st century, we must have a God that we not only believe in, we must have a God who speaks. I will promise you one thing. Every time we come together for the next four days, the next four evenings that we are together, I promise you one thing. The word of God will be opened. We will look at it. We will listen to it. And if we'll open our hearts, God who began a good work in our lives will take it to its further completion. We will experience transformation of life. So here's the invitation this morning. By coming forward, if you want to kneel, feel free to kneel. If you can't kneel but can stand, just come forward. If you need to sit down. But we're going to open up the front of this church and we're going to ask our pastor to lead us in a prayer that talks about, I'm open for four days. For 90 plus hours, I'm going to value the word of God. So I can't be here every night. That's not what the invitation is. Please listen. When we value the word of God, the glory and grace of God explodes everywhere we are. So tonight, today, the invitation is simply this. Yes, I'm going to value the word of God for four days. I want stability in my life. I want insight for my life. I want to grow up in my faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the simplicity of your word We thank you for the fact that though we can sometimes muddy the waters with all our 
what about this and what about that, that uh, you just simply cut right to the heart of the matter. And Lord, we're grateful today that you have given us an opportunity to come for a few days of renewal, of revival. And our prayer is that as your word is opened, that our hearts would be be opened also. Lord, we want you to do your work. We want you to do it your way. And so at this very first gathering, this very first hour, we just commit ourselves to value the truth of your word. We thank you for the living word, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the living word of the scriptures that will continually point us to the hope and peace and grace and mercy and joy, the love, the infinite blessedness that's available to us through Jesus Christ. If you'd like to make that kind of commitment this morning, just stand up right where you are and come forward. and Let's unite our hearts in prayer. I value your word, Lord. I love your law. Heavenly Father, um, we give you praise and thanks for the Word. Uh, You are never silent, but we have your Word to speak to us in all moments of life. So Lord, first off, we we just thank you that um, we live in a time, we live in a generation where we have access to your Word in so many different ways. Lord, some of us have literally dozens of Bibles lying around our house. We have smartphones to which we have access to dozens upon dozens of translations. And yet, Lord, despite the availability of the Word, oftentimes we act as if you're silent, that you're not speaking. That somehow the communication that you want to make with us is lacking. But the truth is, Lord, you speak. You speak through your words. You speak through your spirit. You speak through other people. And Lord, even now you're speaking. And you spoke this morning through our good evangelist. May we love your word. May we value your word. And Lord, may we not simply be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. So, Lord, give us a fresh understanding. Give us a fresh commitment. For these next four days, Lord, may may we in our hearts covenant together that we will not only listen to what you have to say through your word, but we will orient our life around your word. Lord, as as N.T. writes, Lord, may may we be people who who take your word and allow it to shape our life instead of allowing our lives to shape your word. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. 
we, we thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to send your son. And Lord, you extend that love by sending your word so that we can get to know your son even better. Help us now, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence. And Lord, may you just continue to move in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless folks. You are dismissed.